I belong to the Black Ski Club uh, in D.C. So there are all these organizations that's out there where you have Black people who are skiing and who are snowboarding. So that was one of the things that I talked about in my essay. You know, we've got to get past this old narrative because we are out there and we are actively participating and doing it. Hi, I'm Victoria Gaither, and I am entering a world gone good for the second time. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and this is the place where we shine the light on everyday people making good happen each and every day. Welcome to World Gone Good. Couple of points of business before we dive in. Are you following us? where you're listening to us right now. We'd love a follow, a rate and review. When you do, you help more people find the good we got going on here. Another way to spread some good around is to simply share us on your social media, email or tell a friend directly. Help prove us right and spread the good in each and all these ways. And for doing so, we say as always, thank you. Today, we are tackling stereotypes and redefining the narrative. Listen, every single one of us has a personal bias. Let me say this. That is not a bad thing. It is who we are. I was raised in one part of the world, in a family that had a certain belief system, and so were you. Did those belief systems match identically? Probably not. Were there some similarities? Perhaps Add in our cultural environments, educational upbringing, religious impact, and it creates within us a bias that is based personally on all those combined experiences and history. Who we are is greatly influenced by where we come from, and it affects what we know and also what we think we know. I have a good friend who told me this story about herself that I thought I'd share. She grew up in a small town in Michigan. When she went to college, she was taken out of that small place and put into a much larger, different environment with many other people who had done the same. So one day she goes and visits her new friend in her dorm room. Her friend happens to be black and she happens to be a big fan of Prince, the singer. Well, my friend is also a big fan of Prince, but she has never seen what he looked like. She'd only heard his music. Remember, this was before the internet and having a phone in our hand with access to any image in an instant. So my friend sees this poster of Prince on the wall, and that's when she realizes, and I'm going to quote her here, huh, Prince is black, which she was fine with. But see, from only hearing his voice on the radio and records and CDs, remember again, it was a long time ago, she assumed he was white. Okay, so in this instance was my friend applying her personal bias? Or was she racist? Or was it a mixture of both? Or neither, because Prince had a really high falsetto at times, and you might even have thought he was female. Who knows, right? What is the correct answer? I would say it depends on who you ask, because a lot of people listening right now are wondering, how did she not know Prince was black in the first place? And other people are asking, why does it even matter? Well, It matters because we all make assumptions based on our own experiences and what we've read and seen throughout our own life. We are living in a time right now where so many things are about taking a side. You're this or you're that. You got to choose one. You got to choose now. But you can have an understanding of something 
then get information you didn't previously have, and you can change your belief. Just like my friend did by simply seeing a poster of Prince. I wish, I wish I could afford Let's Go Crazy to punctuate this moment, but I can't. So just sing it to yourself. Let's go crazy. Let's get nuts. Okay. Today's episode is all about diversifying our beliefs and changing and elevating the narrative. And we're doing it with a very special person, the news lady herself, Victoria Gaither. She was on this show 123 episodes ago. Sheesh! For episode 38. Listen to this, then hop into your episode guide and scroll on back to enjoy our first good conversation. It's time to hit the slopes with my friend Victoria Gaither and change the narrative in a good way. I am going to not lie to anybody. It is cold in Santa Barbara, California. It's in the 40s. But I think it's a little colder where my guest is right now. (laughs) It's a little colder where you are, Miss Victoria. It is a cold here. I'm looking out the window. I'm at Killington Ski Resort, which is located in central Vermont, a part of the Green Mountains. And uh, it's snowing. But of course, Steve, when you're at a ski resort, you want snow. Yeah, you do. Now, is this uh, some place you go every year? I do. So Killington Ski Resort is my home mountain. So I winter here and I like to say I'm wintering in Vermont. Um, But yes, I come here um, every single winter and uh, it is a wonderful community. Now, this winter, uh, it's a little bit more special because I um, accepted a position with the Vermont Ski and Ride magazine as a contributor and columnist. So I get a chance to talk about my experience um, skiing and as a black woman. Amazing. Let's take a step back. Tell everybody a little bit about your own personal history, um, your own narrative, your own background in news and entertainment. So I um, spent a lifetime in television news. I've worked mainly for ABC stations all over America. I also uh, worked in New Zealand as a a foreign correspondent. I spent time in Australia and Fiji. Uh, So news is in my blood. I had the opportunity to work one time with the great Ted Koppel. So if you're sort of uh, a newsie, then you would certainly know his name. And um, I was a news anchor, spent many years, over 15 years uh, on television. I was a morning TV news anchor as well as evening. And my joke was uh, either you woke up with me or you went to bed with me. So you either saw me in the morning or you saw me in the evening. Okay, we got a couple things to cover here. First of all, <laughs> just to answer a couple questions here, how early did you have to get up to do that morning news? Well, I was up at two o'clock in the morning and you have to be in at the television station at three o'clock in the morning. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's early. And and the other thing that goes with the morning news anchor uh, position is that like, you have to look alert. You have to look happy because no one wants to turn on the morning news, right. And see someone who doesn't look happy. So, you know, that, that time slot, you know, certainly came with its challenges. I'll say that. I did a long time ago, and you'll remember this. Pretty, back in the day, I did, we did, we're fortunate, KTLA here three times invited us to be do segments when we premiered each season. I don't know how they found us, how they fell in love with us, but they did. And we did segments. We had to be start prepping at 3 o'clock in the morning. 
It was nuts. And we did these uh, three and four minute and then two minute and then one minute and then little bumpers. They yes. We just did whatever they told us to do with big <laughs> smiles on our faces. Yes. And, and, and that's the thing with, with the morning news. I mean, for local television stations, it's going to run anywhere from two to three hours. So, you know, if you've got uh, 20 minutes of news, you've got to do your teases, you've got to do your teases that go into the network, whether it's Good Morning America or CBS News. So I, I think the morning show, you do way more work for that show than you do for your evening uh, newscast, for sure. And you mentioned Australia and New Zealand, which are much warmer places in our minds yes, <laughs> than yeah. you are now. Because <laughs> this is the thing. Most people are like, I'm going to be a snowbird, right? I'm going to go to the warmer place in the winter. You're right. a, a lunatic who goes <laughs> to the colder place. I do. You're right. Because mo- most people go south and I always end up going north. But the interesting thing about, about winter and... um winter is actually fun. Most people just think it's cold out. You know, I don't want to go out and do anything, but you know, if you're not skiing, you can snowshoe, you've got um, snowboarding, you've got snowmobiling, you know, like uh, earlier today, I was out on a frozen pond and I was talking to some guys that were ice fishing. So there are all of these activities that you can do surrounding winter. And then of course, at the end of the day, you go to a bar and you have après ski and you enjoy yourself and you talk about, you know, what you did out there on the mountain that day. So um, I just think winter, it's fun. It's Anything's fun if you make it fun. Now, the black community is not really known for being skiers. Well, that's actually not true. One of the reasons why I wrote this essay for the Vermont Ski and Ride magazine is to is to move forward a new narrative when it comes to people of color and black people when it comes to skiing. Uh, because, you know, like right now, I just happen to be on Facebook uh, answering some questions. And Steve, there are so many nonprofits and so many organizations. You've got the Shred Foundation. Those guys uh, focus on getting people of color on on snowboarding. You've got Winter for Kids in uh, Vernon, New Jersey, um, that focus on getting uh, kids out there on the mountain and that are actually, you know, kids of color that are racing. Um, you've got the National Brotherhood of Snow Sports, which is the largest um, organization organization of, of, of black skiers and snowboarders that, that are all across America that belong, you know, to, to that organization. Um, and I belong to the Black Ski Club uh, in D.C. So there are all these organizations that's out there where you have black people who are skiing and who are snowboarding. So that was one of the things that I talked about in my essay. You know, we've got to get past this old narrative because we are out there and we are actively participating and doing it. And I fall into that narrative because I just did. And you corrected me, which is awesome. But here's the thing that I have to ask. How important was it for you and is it for you to present that narrative to show others, specifically black, younger girls, women coming up, that this is something that is available and is accessible and it's normal and it's regular and it's not just for white fancy people named Buffy. Yeah, yeah, no. And, 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 and I hear you on that. And, 
you know, for me growing up uh, in D.C., my only opportunity to go skiing, and I talked about this in the essay, was through the D.C. Department of Recreation or through church, and that was at, at Liberty Mountain. And when I went to go ski at Liberty Mountain, I was thinking about the Olympics on television. I thought that I was going to get on these skis and, you know, make my way down the mountain and I was going to be fabulous. Well, the, the, the opposite happened. I was horrible. Um, I, I, I could barely, you know, stand up on skis. And there was a black woman who came over. I was on the side of the mountain crying my eyes out. And I looked at her and I said, I don't belong here. And she said to me, don't you ever, ever say that. You belong on this mountain. You belong on any mountain. You get up and we're going to get you down. And, and so all the, you know, sort of, uh, you know, black girls that are out there that's going to be listening to this or who think that, that they can't do it. Um, or who think that, you know, maybe it's not for me. I'm here to tell you that it, it is for you. You know, you can do anything that you want to do. So just because, you know, you may not, um, the, the narrative for you may be that you see white people on television skiing, I guarantee you, you come to any uh, ski resort and lodge, you will see someone who looks like me. Um, and, and, and I'm happy about that because the, the face of skiing uh, and the industry, it is changing. Now in saying that, uh, we're only, you know, something like 1.8%, which is a very small percentage of, of people of color that are skiing. But my argument is, is that acknowledge us who are out there doing it because this isn't new to us. And it also, and you hit it, is a way to show that anything is possible for anyone. There are no limitations especially that's something that I always learned with skiing because it's so right there in your face. My, my guest was just on Catherine Roberts, who is from Aspen, and she was just talking about this. It's literally a mountain and that it could yes. not be more of a <laughs> metaphor come yes. to life of getting up the mountain, getting over the mountain, coming down the mountain. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and, and, and of course every mountain uh, is 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 different. I mean, you know, when when mentally when you're out there and 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 I you know come off the, the 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 ski lift and I look down and I think I can't do this. You know, you have to do it because I'm not going to take my boots off and walk down. That I will not do. When you get off the ski lift, does little young girl, little girl Victoria, play in your head? Sometimes it does. Yeah. Some, sometimes it does, because I think a part of skiing is it's mental. You know, you, you have to mentally psych yourself up to say that, that I, that I can do this. So yeah, you know, that, that, that black little girl who was sitting on Liberty mountain back in the day that still plays in my head. But the good thing about that in that story is that I did have this older black woman who came to me who said, you can do this. You can, you can get down this mountain. I also want to add too that um, I think snowboarding has brought more black uh, youth, especially black teenagers uh, into it because it's cool. It's fun. And it's something about snowboarding. I think that they look at and that they feel like that they can identify with that. So it is very common um, on, on mountains these days to see, you know, black youth snowboarding. And I get so happy um, and just such a, a big smile on my face when, when I see that. Now, you wrote this essay for this magazine you're working for, and it's pretty clear why it was important to you to be the first story you told. My question to you is, what's the process? Do you pitch your ideas? Do they tell you what the assignment is? How does it work? 
Well, this assignment actually was quite interesting how it came about. Uh, I was in Killington covering the World Cup and the World Cup is really, really big, you know, to be able to cover that. And uh, my boss, Lisa, and I were just having a conversation and I hadn't written anything for the magazine yet. She, she sort of hired me and said, I want you to be a part of the magazine. But, you know, I just didn't really write anything. So we were having this conversation uh, at, at the ski resort. And I just sort of said to her, I'm kind of tired of this old na- narrative, especially in the media. You know, every see, every winter you pick up a, a magazine or a newspaper and it says the same thing, diversity on the mountain you know, such and such is diversifying the mountain. And I said to her, I said, well, actually we're already doing it. So you're kind of not doing that because to to not acknowledge the people like me and all these other, you know, people that are out there skiing of color is saying that we don't exist. So Lisa and I had this conversation and she says, that is the first thing that I want you to write about. Will you write, write about that? And I said, sure. So that was exactly how, how, how it happened. Um, and, and, and it couldn't be a more fitting uh, topic for me uh, to write about. How long does something like this take you to write? What's the process? Well, the process for this, I actually uh, wrote this uh, at the kitchen table in Granville in New York. And um, once you start writing, it just, it just, it comes out. It really does. Um, but what was different with this article is that I also added other voices. So, you know, um, I, I talked to Sean from Winter with Kids to see, you know, what his experience was. I talked to Henry, who's the president of the National uh, Brotherhood of Snow Sports. Um, I talked to uh, this gentleman who was at the World Cup, a black teen who father taught him how to snowboard. So I added all these other voices in there with mine to to kind of tell the story that, you know, we're here, we're going to stay here. So acknowledge us. And I, I think I ended it by saying something like, um, you know, we're, we're not uh, Bigfoot. Like Bigfoot is this sort of um, invisible creature that people talk about and nobody really sees. But in our case, you see us, you know, you can see me at Killington skiing every single day during the week. I can see, you know, Nichelle and Bobby skiing. I can see Michael skiing. I can see my ski family. I can see all of these wonderful people of color that are actually skiing on this mountain. Those two things I have to say to that. First of all, the Bigfoot reference, you'll always win with me with Bigfoot. That's a $6 million man and bionic woman. No question there. Second of all, the first thing you started with saying when you started Bigfoot, I was like, ooh, Bigfoot on skis. Bigfoot snowboarding. This could be something. Like, we could make something out of it. You know what I mean? Like, we could turn, like, Killington into something that's, "Hmm, can you find him? Pictures of it. It's so interesting to me, too, because there's also this big myth that you have to be a certain uh financial level to afford to go skiing yes and i don't believe that's true myself as you know i'm not loaded and i've gone skiing what is the cost for somebody the average cost for somebody who wants to come out and spend the day well i'm i'm glad that 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 you brought that up because uh you know people will say that the the biggest factor uh, for people of color or really anybody uh, to not ski is the cost that, you know, it's just way, way too expensive. And skiing is very, very expensive because Steve, you know, you ski, you've got to have the outfit, you've got to have the boots, you've got to have the skis. You've got to the get snowboard. there. You yeah, just yeah, get exactly. there. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you have to get here. So, so every single thing surrounding that it is expensive, but I will say there are smaller mountains where you can get a day pass 
for $65, $70. You can rent skis. Uh, there's so many different organizations now that do um, uh, clothing swaps and when it comes to boots and things. So my thing is, is that there are uh, opportunities out there uh, if you really look that, that I think if you want to ski, you can ski. How have you changed your personality, your fear factor, your life by skiing? Skiing is actually my Achilles heel still. Um, I'm the type of person, I'm good at everything. If you give me something to do, I can focus on it and I can do it. But skiing, I don't want to say that it defeats me because I still go out and and I still do it. But I, I always have a very difficult time at mastering it. And a very, very good friend of mine, and she is a part of my ski family, Michelle Sanders said to me, she said, you know, and also Michael said to me, um, you, you are a skier because I have a very difficult time saying that I'm a skier because my, my concept of a skier is still that little black girl that watches people on television and I'm not that person. And, 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 and that has nothing to do with color, but has to do with skill level. So I can get down a green and I can, you know, make my way down, down a blue, but because I feel like I'm not the sort of expert at it, then I don't consider myself a skier, which these guys always push back and say, you are a skier. So, so, so even still, you know, as I, as I write these essays and as I'm a part of this, you know, winter community, um, I still struggle with it. But I think what's most important is that I don't give, give up that I still come back every single year and I'm excited to be back and I'm excited to put on my skis. And I always say this, this year is going to be the year. This is going to be my best year ever. And I always feel that when I start the, the season. So skiing for me um, allows me to not give up. So anything that I think that I want to give up on, I think about skiing and I think, well, you know what, you're still doing that. So that means you can still do this. We've just spent three shows in a row prior to this one talking about being stuck, um, how to get unstuck, and how fear plays into so much of it. And I can tell you, the most fearful part for me of skiing is just as soon as I get on the lift and we take off and we're going up because I start playing out all the what ifs in my head, you know, even Mm -hmm. down to Mm -hmm. I'm going to fall off this ski lift right now. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? All the right. weird little what ifs. <laughs> but as soon as I, you know, land on that slope and take off and look down, I sort of become one and present. Do you have that mindfulness? Do you have that moment? Do you have that presence of I got to be right where I am right now? I do. I do. And and one one thing that 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 Michael and I uh, were talking about, and we ski together um, is, is a distraction. So I like to have music. I like to have something that distracts me. And the funny thing is that, you know, me being in television, I love to videotape everything and take pictures. So I find that the moment that you have, I have that moment when I'm videotaping because I'm at my happiest. I'm not thinking about if I'm going to make a mistake. I'm not thinking about if I'm, if I'm turning, I'm not thinking about anything. I've just got my phone, I'm videotaping and I am having the best time ever. So that moment that you're talking about translates to me when I am videotaping, skiing, or taking pictures. Now, you're the person who sent me Julie Maguire. Yes. Julie Maguire, (laughs) 
<laughs> the fastest listened to, most listened to show of all time. Jumped, yes. Jumped from, it was insane. In 24 hours, she was number four of all time. And then 24 hours later, she was number two. And then I think it was about a week later, a little more than a week later, she skyrocketed to number one. Why? And I asked, I didn't get a chance to ask Julie because we were in the moment, but I asked Catherine Roberts, another skier from Aspen. I asked Catherine this question and she responded, but I want to hear your answer. What is it about this wonderful ski community that they all come together to listen to a podcast? They all come together to support one another. What is the magic of that community? I think the magic of it is, oh boy, I think um, a bond, and this is a bond that you get through skiing. This is a bond that you get on the mountain. This is a bond that you get because it doesn't matter, you know, what you do sort of in your real world and, and meaning your profession. None of that matters because when everybody puts a pair of skis on or when you put your snow, you know, your, your snowboard and, and your skiing, you all, you become one. And, and one thing that, that I do find is that uh, within the ski community, people are so encouraging of each other. So if you're having a bad day, you know, someone's going to be there to say, you know what, you've got this, we, we can do this. If you're having a good day, then you're celebrating together. So for me, it is, it, it's a precious bond of, uh, of a shared experience that no matter who you are, no matter what your color is, no matter what level you are, all of you us, this community comes together and we're on the same page and it becomes this magical feeling. So I think for me and for other people that I've talked to, it's a feeling and we're always chasing that feeling. And that's one of the things that I'm going to be writing about um, in my my second essay, because I've been asked to continue writing uh, about this topic, is chasing a feeling. And that's what we're doing. Speaking of future articles, essays, what do you have a slate coming up that you're already prepping for? Or is it just as whatever comes to you in the moment you're in? Well, right now, my my boss, Lisa, is the one that uh, gives me assignments. So I didn't even know that I was going to be writing about what it feels like to be a part of a winter community. And she uh, said, this is your next assignment. So that's what I'm I'm writing about, you know, this, this, this wonderful community, as you just talked about. Um, and you talked to Julie about and, and your other uh, woman that, that you interviewed from Aspen. Um, because, you know, there is something special about a winter community. There is something special about uh, a ski community. And I've heard people that are a part of other communities, you know, whether it's um, mountain biking or swim club, all these different communities. But but there does seem to be something very different about a ski community. So that's what I'm going to be writing about. And it's, you know, sort of whatever my boss uh, sends my way. And um, I've already started writing it. And I've got a deadline in a couple of days. So, and I never know how it's going to turn out. I sit down at the computer, Steve, as you know, because you're a writer and, and you write and, and I write from my heart and uh, just see what happens. Can I ask you this? Do you miss the on-camera stuff? You know what? Every now and then when something big happens, I think, oh, I miss being on television. I miss it. But um, I can't say that I actually do because 
I still get so much uh, joy and sort of a recognition just in everyday life. Like, uh, like I was just talking to a woman here on the mountain and I walked in the store and she gave me a big hug and she said, you know, winter can officially start because Victoria Gaither, the news lady, has arrived to Killington, Vermont, to the ski resort. And she says, there is no winter without you if you're not here. So, so I, I still am in the public eye. I'm just in the public eye through social media and, and my visibility is still here. It's just sort of in a different way. So I can't say that I miss it. Um, but when something big happens, I think I need to be covering that, but I write for the local newspaper. So I still cover uh, stories, but I can say people still miss me on television. People still recognize me. I mean, sometimes I'm going through an airport and somebody will say, Oh, I remember you when, you know, I saw your story on such and such. So I still get recognized from being on television all the time. Well, part of that, my friend, is also you don't age. <laughs> I love you. You do not age. <laughs> your hair gets your hair gets longer and shorter, but you do not age. You I have, love that. Yeah, you have one of the, the best smiles I've ever seen in my life. And I have to say this one more thing. Last time we spoke, I'm just remembering this. We talked about going to a nice hotel. That's right. That's right. It, why does it seem like we seem to to talk to each other when it's cold outside? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are making the ice hotel thing happen. I don't think it's going to happen this year, but can we plan? Maybe we could even do it in like December. We have to go to an ice hotel. I have, you don't even know, so many people that have listened to this and wrote me and friends of mine is like, I heard about the ice hotel I'm in. Just tell me where I need to be. I know. And listen, we have to, of course, invite Julie, the queen oh God, of cat yes. skills. We've got to invite Michael, Nichelle, Bobby, the whole crew, and the young lady that you interviewed from Aspen. So I say that's something that you and I, we, we're going to find this next year. and We're going to send out invitations and just have everybody show up and do a big show. Okay. I hope so. I hope it's not like most of the things I planned for where like everyone goes, yay. And then a week later, it's three people, but I'll be happy if it's three people. I'll be happy if it's three <laughs> yes, people. Yes, me too. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> Where do people follow you online and how do they follow you? So they can follow me on Instagram, where to next Vic. Um, and also you can um, log on to Vermont Ski and Ride Magazine. And Steve, I'm sure you'll put the information in, in your show information. Um, or you can just find me on good old Facebook under uh, Vicki Gaither. So if, if you, I'm sure if you Google me, trust me, you'll find me. The final two questions you've answered before. And I will have to think back to what you said, but here's the first one. And this is how we go out every week. Who inspires you? Who inspires me? Um, I, I wouldn't say that it's actually one person, but I would say life inspires me. So I'm inspired by every little thing that happens um, in the world. Uh, big things don't inspire me too much. It's little things. I, I could see, uh, you know, a, a, a young girl over here um, at, at the ski resort and it's her first time out on skis and she's a little bit nervous and I can see that she's nervous and I'm going to go, I'm going to be the person who's going to go over there and talk to her and, and, and maybe make her not feel nervous anymore. So my inspiration comes from small things in life. And the final question is not a question. It is a statement to finish. Finish it any way you like. It can be anything we already talked about or anything you want to say. It goes like this. Tell me something good. You always ask the hardest things, but they're the most simplest things. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, okay. No, I, I, I can do this. I can do this, Steve. I can tell you something good. Um, I may be in a video that has to do with skiing at Stowe, Vermont. This is happening right now as we speak. I may be selected to be a part of a video um, at Stowe, Vermont. Thank you, Victoria, for sharing your good a second time with us. Next time on World Gone Good. Creating people 45, 50, 55, sharing kind of those same uh, emotions with us. And senior people going, you know, I didn't think I could love again, you know, because I lost my spouse, I lost my uh, boyfriend, whatever it is. Uh, but I now know that I can open up, open up my heart and maybe have the opportunity to have somebody in my life as I move on. And it's, we are so happy. We are so happy and, and humbled by the fact that these two old guys here talking to you have been able to share that and give people that feeling. Do we have a Valentine's Day present for you? Bobby and Scott are two gay grandpas travel. That is their chosen moniker. I didn't give it to them. They chose it. What started out as a way to connect with their grandkids turned into a internet phenomenon. These two guys travel the world, share their experience, and in doing so, inspire multi-generations of gay and straight people by reminding them it's not too late for anyone to find love, share love, and be loved. This is the V-Day Good episode you don't want to miss. I can't wait for you to hear it. Until then, be good.